And the time to start, if you're not living your dream, is right now. Start setting goals and setting out where you set in the course of your life and setting it all up so that you get somewhere in the future. When all that comes together, something happens called fulfillment. If you are not experiencing awesomeness in every aspect of your life, it's just from an internal block or barrier disconnect that you've chosen to take on. Life is as easy or as hard as we want to make it. And I got my hands and my eyeballs and my heart around any information I could around holistic healing. And that led me down a never-ending rabbit hole of which I'm still spelunking into the depths of. I needed something like ayahuasca to really wake me up because I was very rigid and very stuck in my ways and very structured and controlling. And my first ayahuasca ceremony cracked my ego in a billion pieces. And uh, that's when I believe when you when we really follow our deepest truth, when we really follow our soul, when we really follow our true calling, the universe rises to support us moment to moment to moment. Welcome to the Holistic Health and Human Potential Podcast. I am your host, Ronnie Landis. I'm an international speaker, author of multiple books, an integrative nutritionist, a transformation and embodiment coach, and simply a man who has devoted most of my life to the study, application, and integration of human potential. And it is my biggest inspiration to bring you weekly episodes that will expand your mind, challenge your paradigm, deepen your heart, and help you to embody the greatest version of yourself as I believe you are meant to do something incredible with your life and this podcast exists simply to support you on that journey. Welcome to another episode of the Holistic Human Optimization Podcast. I'm your host, Ronnie Landis. We have a truly amazing interview lined up for you today. And before we dive headfirst into it, I wanted to share a quick offer from one of our sponsors. If you're looking for the highest quality superfoods, natural supplements, and lifestyle upgrade products, I want to recommend you take a look at Purium Health Products. They produce some of the world's best superfood products by maintaining total control of the sourcing process through producing a majority of their products on their own farms and using their patented live dehydration process, which helps to maintain total nutritional integrity. Some of my favorite products I use daily are the Super Amino 23 Protein Replacement Amino Acid Product, the Love Super Meal, which is a live, organic, vegan meal replacement formula. The Apothecary product, which is an organic, GMO-free cherry concentrate that helps increase natural melatonin levels and aids in REM sleep. And also, their revolutionary first-ever anti-GMO product, the Biomedic which has been shown in preclinical studies to safely remove up to 74% of the GMO insecticide glyphosate from the human body in around six weeks of using the product on a daily basis. And that is just the tip of the iceberg with what this company offers. I encourage you to visit their website, www.ishoppurium.com, and use my coupon code HUMANPOTENTIAL all spelled in one word, to receive a $50 coupon on your first order and up to 25% on reoccurring orders after that. Again, the website is www.ishoppurium.com and use the coupon code HUMANPOTENTIAL. Okay, let's dive into episode 129 with Jeff Chilton. Jeff is a very, very interesting character. We met um, a little while back at the Bulletproof Conference in Los Angeles, and we had an instant resonance with one another, mainly because we're both herbalists and we both have a love and just deep, deep passion for the mycological kingdom, the mycelium kingdom, otherwise known as the mushroom and fungi kingdom of nature. And Jeff's work really is focused on medicinal mushrooms, mushroom medicines such as reishi mushroom, chaga mushroom, cordyceps mushroom, lion's mane, tramedes, agaricus blazi, and, and so many more. And we talk about most of these things in this interview. 
And we really dove into the realities of the medicinal mushroom industry and how a lot of the products that you find um, marketed, um, because it's becoming so popular, are not really what you think they are. They're not true extracts. A lot of them are grown on rice medium um, using mycelium biomass, but they're actually more brown rice um, uh, content. And a lot of people are taking these products and thinking that they're going to be on a high-fat diet or a ketogenic diet or a grain-free type of diet, and they don't realize that actually they're taking in a lot more um, carbohydrate material than they ever would have wanted to. And they think that they're taking in an authentic medicinal mushroom product, but it's not really that. And me and Jeff really dive deep into that because a big hallmark of his work in this industry is really setting the record straight on medicinal mushroom products and what's real, what's not, what's effective, what's not. And I have to say I was incredibly impressed by him. And he's just an incredible mycologist, um, you know, a student and scientist of the the mycological kingdom. So I think you're going to enjoy this interview um, quite a bit. So without further ado, um, get ready to uh, take a deep, deep ride into the medicinal mushroom kingdom with Jeff Chilton. Jeff Chilton, raised in Pacific Northwest, studied ethnomycology at the University of Washington in the late 60s. In 1973, he started work on a commercial mushroom farm in Olympia, Washington. During the next 10 years, he became the production manager responsible for the cultivation of over 2 million pounds of agaricus mushrooms per year. He was also involved in the research and development of shiitake oyster and enoki mushrooms, which resulted in the earliest U.S. fresh shiitake sales in 1978. And he is also the president of Namex, and I would say probably one of the world's leading experts and researchers on medicinal mushrooms and pretty much all things myco-related. So this is exciting. Welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here, Ronnie. It's, it's definitely going to be a fun talking with you. Mm, yeah, well, it was really great to get to meet you at the Bulletproof Conference recently and really get a great crash course in, in education on mushrooms, specifically the the mushroom supplement industry and some of the backdoor stuff that's going on that I was aware of, but not to the extent that you really highlighted for me and everybody there. So that was like a moment. I was like, wow, we need to talk about this. We need to get you on the show and really dive into this because I am super passionate about medicinal mushrooms. I have been since I got into it about six or seven years ago through my studies in herbalism and Chinese medicine and whatnot. And uh, I just have a love and a passion for the, the medicinal mushroom kingdom. And obviously you do. You've spent so much of your life in it. And I think this is just going to be such an incredible exploration for people. Well, you know, I've actually lived with mushrooms uh, literally because when I was a, a commercial mushroom grower on the farm you're talking about in 1973 for 10 years, I, I was on that farm uh, almost day and night. So I was living with mushrooms every stage of their growth. And the cool thing about about growing mushrooms is that uh, in that case, we, we had indoor houses, and we every week we put in four crops of mushrooms. So four new crops every week, that's uh, um, 52 crops a year. So I was seeing 200 crops of mushrooms every year times 10 that's like 2,000 crops. Think about a normal farmer that sees one crop a year, maybe 50 crops in a lifetime. I saw 2,000 different crops that we put in uh, in those 10 years I worked there. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, what, what started your passion for exploring the mycological kingdom? Like, What, what, what got you really interested in this? Well, you know, back in the back in the '60s, um, there was quite a revolution going on, and I had learned back then about mushrooms that people had been using in their healing practices worldwide. And so, 
while I was at university, I studied anthropology, and my, my study there was the use of mushrooms in different societies for medicinal and shamanic purposes. So, and you know, let's face it, the 16th was also a time where, where a lot of us were dealing with our own shamanic experiences and, and searching for something other than the culture that we were, we had grown up in. I mean, it was a true counterculture. So, so that, that got me started. And then at a certain point, you know, I realized, well, anthropology is not something that I'm going to get a job in. But I thought, man, mushrooms and mushroom growing, I would love to learn how to grow mushrooms. So I went to the only mushroom farm in Washington State, applied for a job, and was absolutely ecstatic when I got one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, beyond that, like, what, what, would, what would compel someone like yourself to devote his life to this particular field? I mean, this is such a unique field, even in the world of health and nutrition, which is very broad, this is a very, um, or this in that time, I would imagine, was a very niche, novel kind of field that not many people even understood, let alone got involved in. Oh, man, yeah. I mean, I mean you ask uh, or sit, tell somebody that, uh, you know, ask them what a mycologist is, and they're like, I've never heard that word before, right? And, and so... For me, at the time, even though it was really kind of odd, most people like mushrooms. I mean, what the hell? What are you, what are you even, you know, doing there? And and people were, you know, where I live, of course, is in the Pacific Northwest, so we're surrounded by mushrooms. We have a climate that's perfect for it in the fall. It's rainy. The, the, the lots of forests. So we have lots of mushrooms. So that was around me all the time. But in terms of, I guess, a part of it is just the fact that. Through my experiences with mushrooms back in the 60s and, and my studies with the fact of their use, ancient use. I mean, I mean, Ronnie, we're talking about ancient use of mushrooms in cultures all around the world. And there was a lot of information coming out from researchers who had discovered its use in different places and even discovered its use um, down in Mexico with, with shamans in Mexico that were still actually using mushrooms in their healing ceremonies. It was just, it was something very magical and, and caught my imagination, certainly. And ultimately for me, I was, I just said, well, I, I want to get into this deeper and growing mushrooms was really the, the best place for me to go to do that. And, and I loved every part of that 10 years that I spent growing mushrooms and being in these houses and, and uh, just kind of being a part of it all and seeing them growing, it was, it was fascinating, absolutely fascinating because, you know, we all sort of know a little bit about green plants and they're around us and we see them, but, but mushrooms is a totally different type of organism. We see them in the fall when the season is there, but otherwise we don't see them. They just, they, they come up. It's a little bit mysterious, and in a lot of ways it's really fun, just like a mushroom hunt. A wild mushroom hunt is like a treasure hunt. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the medicinal mushroom kingdom really invokes this sense of an enchanted reality, like J.R.R. Tolkien's great books, The Lord of the Rings, and, and that whole alternative reality into magic and mysticism and, 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 you know, lore. And it's like, it's really interesting getting into this field myself. I really started to tap into more of an enchanted reality. And that might've just been because my nervous system was getting regulated and, 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 and I was kind of tuning back into more of my right brain or whatever that was going on. But I really feel like, you know, for example, when I look at a reishi mushroom, like Sometimes a reishi mushroom growing off a tree looks like a UFO. It's not a normal, like a Gergis bisporus budden mushroom that we got on our, 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 you know, pizza. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, it's a whole different kind of thing. And I just want to, I just want to bring that part up too, because there is an enchantment aspect to this that you just mentioned, like hunting for mushrooms is like a treasure hunt. Absolutely. And, and think about it this way, too. 
in a sense, is one of the original paleo foods. I mean, mm. you're talking hunter-gatherers out there, and in season, there are these big, fleshy mushrooms that are popping up, and it's almost like, you know, some of them can be like meat. They're so fleshy and, and um, tasty. So really, they've been used as, as food, as uh, medicine, and as a doorway to another world. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it definitely is a doorway. And I want to, let's talk about that, that here, you know, like, for somebody that's listening to this, that may not be totally aware of the distinction between like your your common button mushroom or what the portobello or whatever they find in the store and the medicinal <laughs> mushrooms is one of the questions that I get sometimes is, oh, well, I have mushroom allergies. And, and you know, does that mean that I have an allergic response to reishi or shaga or cordyceps and, and you know, it's it's a different genetic species, right? Like it's a whole different category than what people commonly think of as just mushrooms. True, true. And, and you know what? The, the fact is, is that what I would say is in terms of eating mushrooms, there are certain mushrooms out there. I mean, like, like every food. Every food, there are certain people that are, it's not going to work with. It's not going, you're not going to react to a certain food. So, so... Mushrooms are, are, are the same. Certain, you know, small percentage of people will not get along with them. Most people, it's just fine in terms of, and, and I guess here's the thing that, that I really like to tell people is that, is that number one, start eating mushrooms. Mm. Make mushrooms a part of your diet. Mushrooms are fantastic food. And, and the beauty of it is that the mushroom cell wall contains these compounds called beta-glucans, and these are the compounds that have the immunological activity. So even when you're eating mushrooms, not only are you getting the food aspect of it, which, which is the, the carbs, the, uh, the proteins in there, um, you're also getting the medicinal benefits with it. So number one, put them into your diet. Start eating mushrooms. That's, that's the first thing you should start doing. And then at that point, if you feel it's necessary, you can look at them as a supplement because maybe maybe you're a little bit out of balance. And and for me, that's one of the cool things about mushrooms. They're they're one of the premier adaptogens. They're something that will help bring us into a homeostasis, into a balance. And and so in that sense, I look at mushrooms as a premier food as medicine type of organism. This is something that you're, you're going to be eating. You're not only going to get the nutritional benefits, but you're also going to get this medicinal side of mushrooms. So, so start out putting mushrooms into your diet. Make them something that you're eating weekly. I mean, I, mean, I, I eat mushrooms, you know, a couple, three, four, five times a week. Last night I had a big meal where I cooked up a bunch of shiitake and agaricus and some veggies. And, and man, it was just like, oh, so good. And again, so much a part of my diet. And here's another just a cool little thing is that back in the, this is kind of to, to the paleo aspect, back in the 1700s in England when, when people were out in the commons a lot and a lot of the, peasantry could not afford meat and they actually called mushrooms poor man's meat mm. mm-hmm. so it made a really good meat replacement yeah and, and again because it was fleshy it was meaty i mean today you can go out there and you can get a mushroom burger right right yes mm-hmm. yeah but again the whole idea to me is is that look let's face it when we're talking about health the most important thing in that is our diet. Our diet is so important. What we take in, what nourishes us is so important. If we can we can have foods that are also medicines in the sense that look, a, a good food with good nutrients, that is that is part of, of medicine in, in a very major way so if your foods are also providing that function 
we're going to be much healthier individuals. Mm, absolutely. And, and on that note, going deeper into the medicinal mushroom kingdom, you know, let's talk about the unique benefits of um, some of these medicinal mushrooms when it comes to like, uh, you know, them being an adaptogen, an immune modulator that that's almost a universal function. Some have more of that capability than others. These are common kind of memes that are understood by people that are in the alternative health community. But I'd like to really talk to you about what are some of the unique benefits that the medicinal mushrooms contain that maybe other other mushrooms aren't aren't very well known for or don't really have that capability. Well, here's what's interesting about it is that all mushrooms will have a cell wall made up of beta glucans, mm -hmm. and again, beta glucan is a key part of the mushroom that gives it its nutritional properties. But beta glucans are not all structured the same, so each particular mushroom has a different beta-glucan architecture. So the makeup of that particular beta-glucan will determine whether it has pronounced medicinal properties or it's just, again, maybe more of an uh, edible mushroom that's going to nourish us in a certain way. But that's what is really the key difference between uh, a a lot of mushrooms, and, and remember, each mushroom is different. Just like if I talk about nutritional properties of mushrooms, every mushroom has a different medicinal pro or different uh, nutritional property, different protein level, different carbohydrates, fats. It's like each one is different. It's just like saying, okay, all plants have the same nutritional value. They don't. Each plant has its own particular profile. Same with mushrooms. So, so as we get down, as we start to look at these, as we analyze these, and as uh, traditional Chinese medicine has informed us over thousands of years, they've discovered certain mushrooms have certain properties. And, and some of them, as an example, like reishi. Reishi, considered to be the mushroom of immortality, the mushroom of spiritual potency, it has a lot more complex properties that come from certain specific compounds that it produces that a lot of the other mushrooms do not produce. So this is, this is another aspect of it is, is some mushrooms will produce a much wider variety of medicinal compounds than others, not just the beta-glucans, but for example, with reishi, it produces what are called triterpenes. Mm -hmm. uh, terpenes are something that, that we all sort of know. They're, they're aromatic compounds. They're like pine resin, things like this. They, but Ganoderma produces what are called triterpenoids, and these have um, properties that are beneficial to the liver. They have properties that are uh, anti-tumor properties. These are compounds that make reishi very unique and and what's, what's interesting about it is when you actually uh, utilize a reishi mushroom, for example, you might make a tea or you might have an extract, the reishi is very bitter. And these, those are the triterpenes in the reishi. So this gets back to a lot of what I talk about, which is, look, if you've got a, a reishi product and, and it tastes bland, then you've got a problem because... Reishi is bitter, and, and those bitter properties are important to get the benefits out of that reishi. Yeah, you know this brings up two points. I wanna I want to obviously talk to you about the quality control aspect, um, but before we go into that, you just brought up a concept that I think is so important in our day and age, which is the value of bitter foods. Yes, and a lot of people don't realize, you know, if you if you study Chinese medicine. For any length of time, they have they have a system where the senses in the the five flavors of food directly correlate to specific organs. Like so, for bitter is directly correlated to the cardiovascular system in our heart, in our blood. And it's interesting because when you look at a lot of the 
the literature on reishi, a lot of it does translate to smoothening out the blood and, and displate, displating or, or just like um, removing platelets in the blood through the ganodermic acid. It's very fascinating to me when, when the, the knowledge that was kind of intuitive um, you know, for four or 5,000 years ago in history of these things being used. And then now we have a little bit of an, uh, we can analyze these things and see what they're actually doing um, in the body. It correlates really well. So anyways, I just wanted to bring that point up about the bitter because a lot of people have trouble with bitter foods and they have to sweeten everything up. And, and I actually personally I can't really sweeten things up. I just gave a I just gave a jar of like amazing raw organic honey away to a friend of mine because I was just like, look, I love honey, but I've I just can't really get into it right now. Like I just have to keep it. I have to stay a little bit on that bitter note because it just feels really good for me. Uh, that, that's absolutely right, and, and <clears throat> the fact is is that the. Um, the bitterness and, and the Chinese way of relating to all of that is something that we should learn because bitters are good for us. And that's, that's been taken out of our diet in the West and replaced with a lot more sugars. And, and that's kind of the way that they, they sort of trap people into eating all of these highly processed foods. And so, so with reishi, really... That bitterness is good. That, that's something a person should embrace. And, and I, I embrace that by putting it in my coffee in the morning. I like coffee. I drink coffee in the morning, and I put reishi right into my coffee. I have nothing else in it. It's just black coffee. And it adds another bitter tone. And, and you know what? One of the things that we do when we're out there at trade shows and things, we do what we call as the reishi challenge, and we we put down a jar of some of the other products that are bland. They don't have much taste, and people taste that. And then they taste our reishi extract. And let me tell you, it's kind of like a mini explosion that goes off in their mouth when they taste that reishi extract because it is powerful. It, it has got these bitters to it, and people are just, wow. Mm. They are so, I guess, Immersed when that when that hits, it's like everything consolidates and, and and your whole body is just going, holy smokes, what is that? That is amazing, and that's the way people feel when they they actually taste our reishi extracts. Mm. I can definitely attest to that. I had that same experience. That was one of the connecting points for us at that conference. And, um, you know, it's just, it's a magical thing. It's just a magical experience that everybody has to have for themselves because it really does open up a doorway, not just to your health, but to kind of expanding your mind. And, and that's the great thing. You know, we could talk about reishi all day long. I mean, I often, I often have in past interviews with herbalists and I think reishi tends to be the favorite herb of most seasoned herbalists, especially that are rooted in a Chinese um, medicine background, it just keeps coming up as like the 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 number one most recommended and most uh, most taken herb of, of pretty much everyone that I know. Well, it's very special, and and it's uh, head and shoulders above most of the others, and because it has this this very complex sweet uh, compounds in there. And, and getting back to what you were saying is, you know, what, what I've done in, in my business is I've looked back to Asia and I've looked back to what mushrooms have been used traditionally. And I've got a book, a very detailed book uh, published in China, and it has 272 different mushrooms that they have uh, identified as having medicinal properties. But I'm not going to be putting 272 different mushrooms out there. I look at the list. I, I then go, okay, what are, what are we still using today? What are the ones that have really been the important ones for traditional Chinese medicine? And there is, let's say, 10 or 12 mushrooms that 
are very special and have been utilized for a long time. And then I go out and I go, okay, I've got this list here. Let's now look at the scientific uh, literature. Let's see the research on it. And in China and in Japan, there is a wealth of very solid scientific research, which is doing exactly what you were saying. It is demonstrating that those properties that the traditional Chinese medicine practitioners identified, like the blood purification with reishi, these are now being proven by scientists. So you tie those together and then you go, okay, these are the the uh, mushroom extracts that I want to offer to people out there. These are what not only traditional um, medical practitioners have told us, but these are what the scientists are telling us. Yeah, it's pretty amazing times we live in. And I want to now take this opportunity to go into one of the things that you brought to my attention and you're really championing in the world of uh, supplements and mushrooms is the fact that um, the mushroom supplement and supplement industry at large is um, not exactly what it appears. Now, I I know this in the supplement industry, um, just the fraudulent and... um, uh, charlatanism that is going on and selling people things that aren't what they think they're buying. And not to say that it's all charlatanism, but there there is a large population. Then there's a large population just misinformation um, and people that are producing products that don't necessarily know the source or they don't know all that they're not getting all the information about their products. So they think they're selling something that's a a specific quality, but it's not really what they think it is. Um, So I want to speak to that because that is so, so important when we talk about getting the benefits of these incredible mushrooms. Oh, yeah, that that is something that I have been trying to educate people about now for a number of years. And really, to start out that conversation, it's important that people understand what the life cycle is of this fungus that we ultimately call a mushroom. And it starts out with a spore. Mushrooms don't have seeds. They have spores. These spores will germinate, and they will form a very fine filament that we'll call a hyphae. And this fine filament, it's growing out. And, you know, these organisms, they get their food by decomposing other organic matter out there. Without fungi, our forest would be filled with tree branches and you name it. We wouldn't be able to walk through them from all of the debris, whether it be leaves, you name it. So, so the spore germinates into this hyphal tube, this hyphae. The hyphae meets other hyphae, and they fuse together and form a network. And that network of hyphae, and these are fine filaments, is called mycelium. Mycelium is the actual body of this organism. That mycelium is out there. It's growing. We don't normally see it because it's either underground, it's in a piece of wood. So we rarely see it, but what happens is when when conditions are right, like when the temperature, like for, for me in the Northwest, after the summer, the temperature drops, uh, it starts to rain, uh, and all of a sudden that mycelium goes into the production of its reproductive structure, which is called a mushroom. So here we have this mushroom, and we think, wow, look at that, it just came out of nowhere. Well, the fact is, it's under the ground or in that tree or piece of wood, we have this mycelium in there that has built up a lot of nutrients, puts up a mushroom, and we're like, wow, this is fantastic. So we have a spore, we have a mycelium, and we have a mushroom, what I would call three stages, just like just like with normal plants, flowers, we have seeds, we have stems, in the case of green Green plants will have leaves and and flowers and fruits. And people also call the mushroom a fruiting body. So in a sense, it's the fruit of this mycelium, which is the vegetative body. That's That's what builds the nutrients and produces this mushroom. Well, traditionally, 
it's a mushroom that has always been used medicinally and for food, and and that's where most of the medicinal compounds are going to be found. Mushrooms are amazing little biofactors. They're making all of these special compounds, whether it's the triterpenes and reishi or the special compounds that are in in lion's mane that gives it that that uh, um, the properties that stimulate nerve growth factor. Mushrooms are producing these compounds. But here's, here's the interesting part is that I can grow mushrooms as food in North America and I can sell it profitably as food. Like I take my shiitake to the market, I sell it for $5. But in the supplement industry, we're selling dried powders or dried products. So when you take the water out of the mushroom, like most vegetables, mushroom is 90% water. Now, instead of $5 for that pound of fresh mushrooms, you have to get $50 for that pound of, of dried mushroom powder. Mm. Unfortunately, the economics just don't work. So what has happened is that people, companies in the United States, they will... They will grow that mycelium on sterilized grain, and they will do all this in a laboratory. So the mycelium is, or the grain is sterilized in a plastic bag. The mycelium is put into that, and then it grows out, and at the end of the process, that mycelium and the grain is all harvested together. The grain is not removed. So what happens is you have this product that is mostly starch from the grains, and unfortunately, it gets sold as mushroom. So I would say, Ronnie, probably 80% of the the so-called mushroom products in the marketplace is mostly this grain-based mycelium product, and and they don't tell you that. The label has a picture of a mushroom, and it says mushroom, reishi mushroom, shiitake mushroom, but in fact, it is mycelium that has been grown on rice or oats or some other grains. Sometimes in the fine print, they might say, okay, we've got rice or we've got oats, but most people just look at that label and they go, okay, I'm taking a mushroom product. Mm. And they say, yeah, I, I heard somebody talk about it and I really believe in this person. It's a guru and they know what they're talking about. When in fact, they are taking a product that's mostly starch. And let me tell you, when I tell that to paleo people, oh man, they do not like to hear that at all. It's so, so this is something that, I'm trying to educate people about out there because I believe in mushrooms. I believe in the benefits of mushrooms. But when when grain powder is being sold as a mushroom supplement, this is just simply not right. This is not right at all. Mm, absolutely. And, yeah, there's so many things that can go on in, in that particular point. Um yeah, I'm just tuning in for a moment. It's like it feels like there's a there's another question that wants to pop up related to that. I mean, just like the supplement industry as a whole, like you've been in this industry for so long. And this is such an important point. I think it's going to be super valuable to everyone listening. What what have you, what are some of the things that you've seen in the supplement industry? Related to the point that you're making about the mushrooms, is it kind of like the same thing going on across the board? Well, you know what? I think, you know, let's just face it. Business in general, there are always people out there selling products and their only aim is to make money. And so there are a lot of products out there that are A, not what they say they are, and B, are, are who knows what they actually are? Are they harmful? A lot of times they're not necessarily harmful, but you're going to get no benefit out of them. And, and you know, here's here's a a um, example of you know something similar, and that is in the early days of the herbal industry, 
a lot of companies, all they did was they went out and they ground up herbs into a powder. They put it in capsules, and then they told you to take two capsules of this ground up herb, and and that was that was sort of supposed to be medicinal. And in fact, with most herbs, there's not enough in those two 500 milligram capsules to do you any good at all. You really have to concentrate that or take more. So so. That was the early days of the herbal industry, and, and it's gotten better since then. And that's why I tell people, look, you're much better off, especially with medicinal herbs, to look for extracts, look for someone who is concentrating these in a natural way. Don't You know, there's a lot of stuff out there that claim to be extracts and claim to be super potent in all of this, when in fact they're not. You really have to be careful. You have to look at the company that's making it, you have to ask your friends, you have to, you know herbalists or naturopaths, but, but here's the thing that I've, that I've run into, which is, which is disheartening. I've talked to herbalists, I've talked to naturopaths, even they get fooled by this mycelium on grain product. Mm-hmm. Even they recommend some of these, and the fact is, is unfortunately with the whole mushroom kingdom, people just don't know much about it. So they're easily fooled by people out there that are are acting like experts. They are giving a lot of misinformation. And, and this is this has been the problem in this category. And that's why, you know, I, I produced a white paper three years ago called Redefining Medicinal Mushrooms. We took 40 different products that we bought off the internet. We took actual dried mushrooms and some of our extracts and we ran them through a test for beta glucans and this test also revealed starch and here's the thing mushrooms do not contain starch so in our testing the the mushrooms the the genuine mushrooms it was like okay two or three percent which is the glycogen which is starch like but it showed as glycogen Whereas these other products that were mycelium on grain, they were anywhere from 30 to 70% starch in our testing. And the amount of beta-glucans was approximately, in general, 5 or 6% when mushrooms are 25 to 50% beta-glucan. So these products were the exact opposite of what you should be getting as a mushroom product. Rather than getting a high level of beta-glucans and and no starch at all, these products ended up being very low in beta-glucan and very high in starch. And the reason was simply that there was very little fungal matter in these products and there was a lot of residual grain. And here's, here's how I like to categorize it. What they are actually doing with these products is they are culturing grain. So it's actually like a tempeh. Are you familiar with tempeh at all, Ronnie? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, tempeh is a fungal mycelium grown on cooked soybeans, mm-hmm. and it's sold out in Asia as food. And, and so what these companies are actually doing is that they're growing this mycelium part of the organism on grain and rather than selling it as a food, which is how I would categorize it, they're actually selling it as a supplement. And it's literally not a true herbal remedy in any way. It's not the mushroom. The mushroom is what's been used traditionally. Instead, it's this tempeh-like cultured rice product or cultured oats product. And believe it or not, there's actually companies out there that, that – when they're selling their product to other companies, and especially the food companies, they say, hey, our mushroom product, they say, is very bland. You can put it in anything. And I, I say to companies, I say, look, every mushroom has its own unique flavor. It shouldn't be bland. If it's bland, that's because it's mostly grain powder. Mm-hmm. That's a really, I mean, this is just, as somebody who's been in the industry for a little while and has just gone deep into 
so many of these products, it's it's such a it's just such a revealing thing because when I first got into it, I remember the excitement and you know just diving into this world of alternative health and nutrition and and organic supplements and um, herbalism and and I I used to think it's kind of interesting it's a little bit of a naivete but now when I look back at it a decade after my original my original focus was about being the most optimized empowered and vital version of myself and um, you know that's a whole thing of its own I've gone through a lot of detoxing and stuff which actually brought me to my knees physically Mm-hmm. Um, and having to go through that through my health challenges, but but when I think of supplements, I think of herbs. I think of my original intention and my my I guess almost like my assumption that if I took in these things and I saturated myself with it, I would almost become like superhuman. Uh-huh. And in some respects, that is true. You know, mentally and 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 other ways, I'm able to recover really really well from training and that kind of thing but I also look at a lot of the the experiences I had where I was taking a certain supplement that based on the research and based on other people's experiences it seemed like this was the thing I can't tell you how many times I've found the thing (laughs) and it's just like okay well this is a thing and maybe it's part of the toolbox but it doesn't seem to be the thing doing everything and I'm feeling like a lot of it was there's a lot of great products and some of them were just working on their own, doing their own thing. And then a lot of them was just a lot of wasted money. I mean, I've spent so much money it actually pains me a little bit to think about it. I've spent so many thousands and thousands, probably tens of thousands of dollars over all these years. Yes. And I definitely don't feel like in a lot of cases I got my bang for the buck. Well, you know what? Here's the, here's the, the thing that, hurts me the most is that, and listen, I, I started my company uh, selling medicinal mushrooms in 1989. Wow. And, you know, mushrooms traditionally, there's there's a lot of information out there about mushrooms being used for cancer and, and you know, as a folk remedy. And I'm not going to tell anybody that mushrooms are going to cure your cancer. Uh, I, you know what? But certainly they can help in terms of uh, your immune system and keeping it a little bit higher should you be going through conventional therapies. But listen, I've spoken to people on the phone who have cancer, who are looking for something. They come to me. They want a mushroom product. Can you tell me? What do you have? I've spoken to these people. I'm not a practitioner, but when you talk to people like that, Ronnie, let me tell you, and then they ultimately are buying products and they're spending lots of money trying to find something Mm -hmm. and they end up buying a product that in fact is not genuine. That hurts me. Yeah. 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 Both of us. And I just really appreciate you bringing this to light. And so now that we've really just like, we really flushed that particular aspect out. Now that we know we're dealing with, high quality products let's really like let's dive into some of the time we have left let's dive into some of the different mushrooms i mean we kind of talked about reishi mushroom but i want to i want to dive into a little bit about cordyceps shaga and lion's mane in particular and and bring that to people's attention sure you know cordyceps is so fascinating it's it's traditionally wildcrafted up in the the uh, uh, Tibetan plateau. It's called caterpillar fungus. It's this little tiny uh, fungus that grows off a caterpillar that has been infected, and over winters, it's it's uh, uh, sitting there underground over winter, and it doesn't even realize that it is being uh, done in by this <clears throat> this fungus. And then in the spring, this fungus grows off the head of the caterpillar, and they, the Chinese call it winter worm summer grass, and people who wildcraft it are on their hands and knees out there in the pastures looking for this little thing. <clears throat> it, is, it has been so famous that today the wildcrafted cordyceps is 
valued at somewhere around $20,000 U.S. for a kilo. Nobody can really afford it anymore except the ultra-rich. But, but what's fascinating about well, and, and traditionally, cordyceps has been used for uh, people coming out of a debilitating illness. They, they've been ill. Now they're starting to recover, but they're weak. They need something to help them out. That's one of the real traditional uses for cordyceps. It's also used for just overall fatigue. These are things where, where they use cordyceps a lot. And, and so here's the really cool thing about what's going on right now. Uh, growing mushrooms is not easy. There are only maybe 20 or 25 species of mushrooms out of thousands that we can actually cultivate. And, and when we cultivate these mushrooms... Really, for me, that, that's, that's a, a benefit because now we can have a supply that uh, people can enjoy. We're not out there. You know, wildcrafting on a certain level at an individual basis is fine, but when you, you get into commercial wildcrafting, it can harm the environment in so many ways. So, so cultivation, I believe, is important. In the last 10 years... In China, and I have lots of contacts over there, um, in China they have learned how to actually grow a cordyceps species called cordyceps militaris. And cordyceps militaris has been used interchangeably with cordyceps sinensis, which is the caterpillar fungus, for hundreds and not thousands of years. So these two things are used interchangeably we can actually cultivate this now. And so for the first time, we have real, genuine cordyceps without any insect involved that we can sell at a very, very reasonable price. And, and for me as a mushroom grower, by trade, uh, this is just like when a new mushroom comes into cultivation, I'm just ecstatic. I'm just like, wow, we've got a new mushroom that now we can cultivate. It's just like... Wow, this is so amazing. And the amazing thing is that everybody who tries this cordyceps is transformed. And I'll just tell you an anecdote here about it. I was just at American Herbalist Guild. They have a yearly symposium, and I have some cordyceps there. And one of the top herbalists in the country is coming by, and I know him. I say, hey, Michael, how are you doing? And I say, here. Have you seen our cordyceps? Check it out. And, and he looks at this package, 100 grams of, of actual cordyceps mushrooms. They're the little fruit bodies. And, and I said, here, take it. You know, take it away. You, you can take it and maybe you'd like to make an extract or something out of it. And he, he, he takes it and he just rips the package open and he starts eating them. Mm. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, now here's a real herbalist, right? And the first thing he wants to do is he wants to like, okay, let me taste this thing. Let me. And so he's eating it, and 30 or 45 minutes he's got it, and he's chewing on it, and, and then he sort of closes his eyes, and he goes, wow. He said, I can, this has got so much powerful chi in it. Mm. And I'm like, you know, um, Ronnie, this is like, this is, this is like a herbalist. This is somebody, and, and he's been in it. I mean, he's in his 70s. He's been in it for a long, long time. And this is what a real herbalist is like. Not only are they, they okay, reading the literature and all the rest, making their own preparations, but they're, they're out there. They're tasting. They're eating. Then they're going not just, wow, it tastes great. They're going like, holy smokes, I can feel the chi in this. And I just thought, man, that, that, and, and I know other people that I, I've given the cordyceps to that are just absolutely blown away by how powerful it is and what a wonderful herb it is. And I feel so fortunate that today we actually have, for the first time, actual cordyceps mushrooms with no insect, just the mushroom itself. And at a price that 
anybody can buy it and and it's available to them and people love it. Mm. It is fantastic. And 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 where a lot of people use it now, it's kind of got itself into the whole athletic performance type of thing, but it goes so far beyond that. I mean, I just think it's one of those particular mushrooms that is is very, very special and everybody should try it to see how it resonates with them. And and again, you know, not everybody's going to get the same effects from these things. It's going to resonate with people in different ways, but it has that overall power to it. Mm, absolutely. I, I, I am a huge fan of cordyceps. I mean, you know, beyond just the athletic, kind of the mitochondrial energy production that it's known for, it also has antiviral, antiretroviral capabilities adrenal supporting capabilities it's also also an adaptogen i mean but one of the things that you're bringing up is really important because it's the there's varieties and quality again that's the part of the huge theme of this conversation um i'm curious is is the type of cordyceps sinensis you're speaking of is that um i don't know if i'm if this is accurate but is that the c9 what's being called the c9 sinensis no, I think I think what you might be thinking of is there's a product out there called CS4. CS4, that's it, yeah. Yeah, and CS4, what, what happened is is at a certain point back in the 80s, and um, the uh, scientists in China and all of the people that were working with cordyceps, they realized that cordyceps sinensis was too expensive. And so they started to to the, the scientists went out and they started to get a, a culture. And, and again, when you want to culture a mushroom, what you do is you, you take a piece of tissue. And this is the cool thing about mushrooms is you can take a piece of tissue, you can grow it out in a, in a Petri plate, and that tissue will regenerate into mycelium. And then um, what they've done is they then grew this mycelium over there, but Rather than grow it on grain, which is not how you're supposed to do it, they have large fermentation tanks where they put it in liquid. And what happens is that this mycelium will grow out in the liquid, and so they'll have huge tanks of it. They will then remove the liquid, and they will have pure mycelium. And this is something I want people to know, too, because... Uh, pure mycelium, there's lots of research on pure mycelium. Mycelium has medicinal properties. It doesn't have the same properties as the mushroom. The mushroom is more complex, but it has medicinal properties. There's lots of research on it. People selling mycelium on grain will try to confuse you by saying, oh, there's all sorts of scientific work that says mycelium is active absolutely right. The problem is with those people is that's not what they're selling you. They're selling you mycelium on grain. So CS4 is a pure mycelium product. They did a lot of testing on it to demonstrate that it had a similar profile to the actual caterpillar fungus and also that they did a lot of clinical trials to demonstrate that yes, it also had similar activities. So it has been sold in China since the Late 80s, in fact, in 1989, I, I spoke with one of the companies over there that was actually producing CS4, and and we have actually sold that, and I've always considered it as certainly a way to consume cordyceps when, in fact, all we had was a very expensive caterpillar fungus alternative. And, and here's the funny thing. I, I talked to companies in the early 90s when I was first introducing the industry to medicinal mushrooms. And I said, hey, what do you think about cordyceps here? Would you be interested? And, and they said, well, you know, how much does it cost? I said, well, probably over $1,000 a kilo because that's what it was selling for at the time. And then they said, oh, you mean it comes on a caterpillar? I said, yeah, it's on a caterpillar. They're like, well... Our customers don't want are, are a lot of vegetarians, and nobody wants to eat a caterpillar. Yeah. So, so CS4 was sort of, you know, an alternative to that. But today, with Cordyceps militaris and actually having the real, genuine fruiting body, 
I basically am phasing out CS4 because this product is so much better and is a genuine fruiting body. And one of the things I found is that the CS4 products that we've seen over the years are variable. They're not always what they're supposed to be. So I look at the, the you know, I, you've seen the pictures, or maybe maybe you saw the Cordyceps Bulletproof at our at our booth. It is orange. It's bright orange. Yeah. Our our Cordyceps extracts are bright orange. Mm. You can look at those, and, and there's no like, you know, what is this? Is this really what you say it is? Hey, it's exactly like the mushroom. It yeah. is an orange powder. I mean, it, it's beautiful. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I, I've had actual cordyceps that are, are you know, the, the manifestation from the insect. And um, it's a very rare thing that happens, but I have seen that. And I've seen the, you know, studying this, I've seen the actual mushroom that, that comes out of the caterpillar through that process. And it's bright orange. Yes, that's right. That's right. And that's, a, you know, that the... Um, of course, this militaris actually grows on a, a full insect. Um, we don't grow it on insects, of course. We have something else that we grow it on, but it doesn't get grown on an insect. And the thing with a mushroom, listen, the, that's the other kind of misinformation out there. Because I have people talking to me all the time, and they'll say, well, so, so they're growing this mycelium on, on green. Well, what do you grow your mushrooms on? Well, you know, mushrooms... Medicinal mushrooms, in large part, grow on wood, and so we'll grow our our mushrooms on wood and or sawdust. But we don't harvest the sawdust right. <laughs> of the product. No, the mushroom is harvested, and that bottom of it, where it's connected to whatever it's growing on, gets cut off. That's not what you're getting. You're not getting sawdust or wood or something like that with a mushroom. You're getting a hundred percent mushroom. Whereas these other products, no, you're getting the grain, and unfortunately, the grain is the major part of those products. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that, I mean, that's such a great distinction there. It's like, yeah, what are you growing it on, and also, what are you packaging with it as well? Well, that's the other side of it is, you know, a lot of herbal products out there and herbal extracts, they get put on carriers, and in some cases, that's okay because it stabilizes the extracts, but, but some companies will end up putting a close to 50% carrier in their products and ends up being like maltodextrin or dextrose or some type of carbohydrate. And, and here's something that everybody needs to know because a lot of companies that sell so-called mushroom products will say, oh, it's got 30% polysaccharide or 40% polysaccharide. We've demonstrated that, A, grain starch is a polysaccharide. Mm -hmm. Maltodextrin or other carriers are polysaccharides. So oftentimes when you've got a high polysaccharide number for your product, all that means is it's full of carrier. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that, I mean, that right there is an important point. Yeah. Well, well there's, I mean... We weren't able to get to Lion's Mane and Chaga, but we dove deep into Cordyceps, which is really exciting. I'm really glad we got that information out there. And um, we're reaching the, the end of the, the interview, but um, I, I definitely want you to share where people can get a hold of your products, your information, the research that you've done, because I know that your company has done extensive research and put it out to the public on everything that you're talking about. If somebody wants to go deeper into the analytical research on this, um, where can they find, this is what I want to ask, where can they find your information? And then following that, do you have any parting insights that you would like to leave our audience with? Well, if you go to our website, which is, Namex.com, and that's N-A-M-M-E-X.com. Namex actually stands for uh, North American Medicinal Mushroom Extracts, and that's who we are. Come to Namex.com. We've got not only just documents, informational pieces. We've got my white paper there, the research that we did that started all of this. I've got 
uh, slideshows on there that show you visually how these different processes work, how mushrooms are grown. So we got a, a lot of information there. And what I'd really like to leave you with and your listeners with today, Ronnie, is an ancient Chinese poem. And this poem, it refers to mushrooms, and I just love it because it's so descriptive. It's It goes like this, without leaves, without buds, without flowers, yet they form fruit as a food, as a tonic, as a medicine. The entire creation is precious. Beautiful. Well, Jeff, I really appreciate you taking the time to drop in with me and uh, bring all this great information and inspiration into the mycological kingdom with everybody. And it's just a total fun, total pleasure and honor. Well, thank you so much. I, I, I really appreciate it. It's been great talking to you. And, and I'm. it was so wonderful to meet you. And, and you know what, Ronnie, I looked at your website, man, you're just doing such a great thing and you're so genuine and, and it's just, it's great to, to have met you and I look forward to seeing you again in the future and we can talk again about mushrooms at some point. Absolutely. I, I received that and yeah, I'd love to have you on again at the right time and we'll dive deeper. We'll definitely get to flesh out more about Shaga and Lion's Mane and Garagus and all the amazing stuff out there that we didn't even get to scratch the surface of. We'll get to do that again. Awesome. I hope you enjoyed this fascinating episode of the Holistic Health and Human Potential show. Before you head off, I want to invite you to go to my website for further podcast episodes and tons of free content on holistic health, natural nutrition, and human potential. Please go to www.ronnielandis.net to find out how to take your health and your life to the next level. And also, I want to encourage you to leave a five-star review for this podcast on our iTunes page, which will help me in my mission to get these inspiring messages to millions of people throughout the world. I thank you so much for your support, and I look forward to continuing to provide amazing conversations and content on holistic health and human potential.